0: Welcome to today's episode. My name is Lena. I am a spiritual teacher and a coach. And here on this podcast, I read the um, lectures by Neville Goddard. I do have two other podcasts. I have a Mindset and Manifesting podcast, and then I have a podcast titled The Journey of Awakening, where I share mystical dreams and experiences and scripture. So if you are interested, uh, check out my blog. I have links over there uh, to the different podcasts and of course uh, my YouTube channel. So let us get into this lecture from 1967 and it is titled Remembrance of Things Future. Neville tells his audience the title is Remembrance of Things Future. I have so much to tell you within this hour. It's almost like a concentration. I should really have days to tell it. There's so much within this one thought. Remembered something's future. And the most controversial book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. If you read it, and I hope you have, you think the whole thing is hopeless. For we are told that there's nothing new under the sun. We're told that that which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has been already, in ages past, but there is no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of things to come later among those who will come after. That we find in the very first chapter of Ecclesiastes, verses 9-11. through Because it has always been part of scripture, we still have it. And throughout the centuries, our great leaders have tried to delete it, to take it out of Scripture. But fortunately, unsuccessfully, there it stands. If we only understood that this whole thing is about, or what this whole thing is about, that the one God subjected himself to this imitation, as told us in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. The creature was made subject unto futility, not willingly, but by reason of the will of him who subjected him in hope that that the creature would be set free from this bondage to corruption and obtain the glorious liberty of the sons. Verse 20. Here is this one being subjecting himself. As we are told, I say you are gods, all of you sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you shall die like men. And fall as one man, O Princes. The 82nd Psalm. One grand brain, as it were, containing all and and we brain cells in the mind of this one grand dreamer who will fail. And then you and I will be released, having gone through the dream that you took, one by one by one. Now let me share with you this fantastic story as told me only a couple of weeks ago at home. My friend came home for dinner, so he brought with him the experience that I've asked you to share with me your dreams, your visions. For God speaks to man through the medium of dream, through the medium of vision. And what is more important than to listen to the voice of God? But a dream, unexplained, is like a letter unopened. If it's not explained, then you might receive a letter. It's a letter from God. And without explanation, (coughs) excuse me, all right, the thing is closed. It's sealed. And put it aside and forget it. Every dream is significant and then something. It's not a dream. This is a vision. There are dreams, there are visions, and there are mystical experiences. These are the three. This is the most wonderful vision in three parts. So he came home and he took it from his pocket and he gave it to me. And now let me share with you, as he shared with me, this experience. Now here is one who has already had three of the great experiences. I await eagerly the fourth due from his own timing. I thought it came earlier. It comes in 68. I was hoping it would come earlier, but it's not. It's a definite time interval. But here is his experience. I'm in the far, far distant future. A few men and I are in blue robes. We're standing on sand, and it seems we are on a kind of a gorge. And across the water is this huge mountain that rises out of sight. Then, this intense vibration, intense light, comes from the mountain and it makes a hole in the ground. Here it seemed as though the surface were made of plexiglass. I could see through it, and in that depth, I could see the serpentine motion of golden liquid light. I saw the serpentine motion of golden liquid light. One of the men looking into this depth said, This is it. They have decided to put an end to it, but they have started at the very center, and it will take a while for it to reach the surface. Then I found myself in the city. It was a brilliant, brilliant day, a new day. The most fantastic world I have ever seen. Nothing like it here. There were homes, they had houses, but nothing like our houses. There were gadgets, numberless gadgets. I couldn't understand anything that I saw, and someone was trying to explain to me that all of these gadgets were the solutions of all the various problems of the world. All these were solutions, and all the problems of the world were solved. And these were the solutions. But I couldn't understand the problems, let alone the solutions. Now, he said, this is how I mean how they differed. At lunchtime... They all took a card the size of an ordinary postcard. They looked over it, made their decision when they tucked it into a pocket over their heart. Then came this invisible ray that filled the city, and on their faces you saw an expression of the most heavenly delight. They were enjoying a meal, the most wonderful meal in the world, everyone but me. I could neither read the menu nor tuck it into that little pocket over my heart. It was the most frustrating day in my entire life, and for a while I thought the hungriest. Then it changed, and I'm in a room. I'm standing in a room where the floor is sand. A young girl enters, a beautiful young girl enters in the nude, completely nude, and she lays on her back in the sand. Again, an invisible ray fills the room, and she disappears beneath the sand. In a little while, the sand stirs, and I think she's coming back out of the sand. But instead, a door comes out, and on it, a lovely, beautiful, nude boy, nine or ten years old. Four men lift the door and take the door with the boy on it, his hands folded on his chest, and take him, apparently still asleep, out of the room. And then I awoke, and I thought, can I sell it as one of these H.G. Wells (coughs) futures? This wonderful vision into the future? And then instantly I realized it isn't worth a dime. The nudity would keep it off the TV screens and the lack of sex would keep it out of the pictures. That's how he ended it. You see, he's very humorous. This most profound vision, but he is a darling and he has to put it that way, as he ends it. It really is a terrific vision. It's all through scripture. What he saw that night while I was in San Francisco, the last half of January. Now let me share it with you. I know he is only at the very, well, just a matter of months, but the summer of 68, for complete release, you and I were made subject unto this futility, not willingly, but by reason of the will of him who subjected us in hope, that that we would be set free from this bondage to corruption, this futility." And obtain the glorious liberty of the sons of God, the sons of the resurrection. For this is the world of death. So here I now turn to the book of Isaiah. Here we turn first to the 44th chapter. Thus said the Lord, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Now he asked a question. Who has announced from old the things yet to be? Let them tell us what is yet to come. Have I not told you from, from of old, and you are my witness? Is there a God besides me? I know not any, Isaiah 44, 6-8. There is no God besides me. Who is that God? Who is that God speaking? No God besides me? I tell you this God is your own wonderful human imagination. God became as we are, that we may be as he is. This is the God of Scripture. This is the only God. There is no other God besides this God. No other God. Now where does this begin in this story? Here we find the first section of the vision. Here he is, and a hole is bored, at the surface seen like plexiglass. And below it he sees the serpentine motion of gold and liquid light. Knowing his story as I know it, he is just about to depart not. I don't mean tonight or a year from now or ten years from now, for that matter. I'm not saying he'll depart in the immediate present of a few years. I mean this time is his last time. I knew it from his own experiences. Here he sees through this whole the, serpent, the serpentine motion of gold and liquid light. Let me now turn to the book of Exodus, the 24th chapter, the 10th and 11th verses of Exodus. He is speaking now of Moses, and he stands, and Moses beheld God. As he saw God, God's feet were standing on the pavement of sapphire. The pavement of sapphire, and it was, as it were, like the heaven clear. You have no idea how beautiful you are, how great you are. I stand here, a silly little thing, 511, before you, and he who occupies me, who speaks to you, is the one who is standing with his feet on the heavens, if his feet this moment are on the heavens, where is his head? Do you think his head is beyond the heavens? No, my feet are there. I'm standing on the heavens, and they are sapphire blue. He's seated right here in the symbolic world, the earth, and it's moving like a serpentine force. He sees the golden liquid light, the convulsions of the brain. Just what I see when I go into the silence right in my skull. He sees the rhythm of life, the motion of life, right where he always is. That is only symbolism. The motion is true, but it's all within your own wonderful skull. That's where God is anchored. And there's no limit to God. He stretches out his feet on the sapphire blue, the heavens. And blue has always been throughout the world the symbol of truth. In every language we hear it, oh, he is true blue. That one that is true blue, there is no soil part of him, no guile in him. He is without guile, true blue. Listen to his story. He wouldn't lie to you. He wouldn't deceive you. He's true blue. Here the blue all over the world has been. They were clothed in blue when this vision started. Then they saw the serpentine motion of golden liquid light. Now we're told in the third chapter of John, you must be born again, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The same serpentine motion. We are brought out of this world of death by signs and wonders, and the outstanding sign is a fiery serpent upon the staff of Moses, your own wonderful human spine. That's how it happens. You can't do it by taking thought at the fullness of time, it happens, it just happens. So they looked down, and one said, so this is it? They have decided to put an end to it, but they have started at the center. It will take a while for it to reach the surface. They started, they, who are the fathers, who are the ones who in great eternity watch, as we're told in Peter. Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they have been from the beginning of creation. Where is the promise of his coming? When will he come, Second Peter 3, 4? What coming? When the whole thing foretold in us begins to awaken in us, it unfolds in us. God is completely embodied in man, and he foretold his purpose. He assumed the limit of contraction, the limit of opacity, and then dreamed the dream of life. The horrible dream of life where we kill each other, we murder each other, we do everything. Then one by one we are lifted out and awakened from the dream of life. All gathered once more into the same one body that fell, a deliberate fall. No one takes away my life, I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down and the power to lift it up again. This is the one God speaking, called in scripture Jesus Christ. But when I use the word Jesus Christ, or the word Jehovah, or the word Lord God, or the word I am, or the word imagination, I mean the same thing. These are synonymous terms. They're all interchangeable. And so I mean the same being. So that in your very being the one God is buried, and this one God, after the fullness of time, awakens in you, and he passes through these stages. Now the first section of his dream, I beheld the serpentine motion of the golden liquid light. Now he comes into a city where every problem is solved. Now in the 24th chapter of Exodus, not only is God standing upon the blue, called the heaven blue, the very next verse, the 11th verse, this is now the 10th and 11th verses, and they beheld God and they ate and drank. The heavenly feast comes after you behold God, the great serpent. It's a serpent that fell, the serpentine force. In this world it's sex. What greater power in the world, in this world, than sex? Oh, we can call it by a thousand other names, but it's sex. And it remains, whether it be distorted sex or all kinds of sex, until finally in God's own wonderful, merciful act, he reveals himself and turns it around. From generation into into regeneration, and we turn up right back into the same heaven from which we fell. Everyone will go through all the sex of the world, the horrors of the world, and all of a sudden. So we are all. who are these in great eternity spoken of? As Blake brought it out so beautifully, and those in great eternity who contemplate on death said thus, what seems to be is to those to whom it seems to be and is productive of the most dreadful consequences to those to whom it seems to be, even of torments, despair, and eternal death. But divine mercy steps beyond and redeems man in the body of Jesus. Jerusalem, plate 36. In the body of Jesus only, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, all redeemed in the one body, and that body is your body. That spirit is your spirit. Everything is yours, after this horror to which all of us unwittingly and unwillingly were subjected. Now comes the last of his vision. What a beautiful vision. And this young girl, a maiden, alas, a virgin enters, and she lays on her back in the sand. And then she disappears after the light comes, and she sinks out of sight into the sand. Then there's a stir, and he thinks she's coming out, but she doesn't. Instead, a door comes up. Now, I am the door. As you're told in the book of John, who comes up? I am the door. The door comes now. The one speaking as Jesus Christ, is coming up. I am the door. Those who come through any other way is a thief and a robber. Come through this door. On it is a lad, a beautiful nude boy, nine, ten years old, hands on his chest. And then four men, and the symbol of the doors, Hebrew for four. Or in Hebrew is four. Four men step forward, the four gospels, the four of the inner chamber. And they lift the door and take him off out of sight. Now here we find the story of the seventh chapter of Isaiah. And the virgin shall bear a son. Now it's a sign, and the Lord said, This shall be a sign unto you. A virgin shall bear a son. Isaiah 7.14 Now in his letter to me he said, I knew that when she lay on the sand that she was not physically present, and that she brought him forth without the assistance of a man. I knew that when I saw the lad, and when she came up she was so delighted that she had brought forth a son. There came the first, and it was a boy. Then came another stirring of the sand, and then she came up, and she was delighted that she had been, had born a son. I knew she was not present when she lay on that sand, and I also knew that she produced it without the assistance of a man. Now we go to scripture. How is this thing possible, seeing that I know not a man? Luke one thirty four. This is the most beautiful symbolism in the world. It's the most wonderful allegory. Well, what is an allegory? An allegory is a story that is told in figurative language requiring interpretation. It tells the story as if it were true. The one who hears the story, or sees the story, or reads the story, must discover the fictitious character of that story and learn its meaning. So here it is told in the seventh chapter of the book of Isaiah. But it is told who understands this story. A virgin shall bear a son without the aid of a man. Unnumbered centuries pass uh, pass by until the fullness of time when man passes through the actual experience of it. And man gives birth to that state. For the word translated here, virgin, is long lamed mem-he. It's a feminine of Oh, it's I, I think it's Ion, Ion, I-O-N, lamed mem, hey, it's the feminine of Ion, lamed mem, we speak of Olam, lamb, the youth, in the book of Samuel, and we speak here of Alma, the word is Alma, she's a virgin, the feminine of a lamb, now a lamb is a youth, a lad, a stripling, and this is called, well, the last, the virgin, who is this virgin? My own wonderful skull. This is the virgin. It doesn't come from below, from my womb, it comes from above. This birth is told us in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Here, it is from above, my skull. I can't believe it. I have unnumbered thoughts come out of my skull. But to bring something of this nature? No. My mother bore me, and my wife bore my children. But no, certainly not something of this nature. Now let me share with you a moment what the word Olam means first, that you may really understand Alma. In Hebrew, though history consists of all the generations of men and their experiences fused into a single whole, and this concentrated whole into which all the generations are fused and from which they spring, they call eternity now we go back to ecclesiastes the third chapter the 11th verse god has put eternity into the mind of man yet so that man cannot find out what god has done from the beginning to the end now in the book of samuel this word translated eternity is translated youth stripling young man and the king turns to this youth but doesn't address him first He addresses his lieutenant, and he said, Whose son is that youth? As your soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. Inquire whose son the stripling is. No one knows. So he turns to the son. He said, Whose son are you, young man? And he answers, I am the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. And Jesse is any form of the verb to be. So he answered, I am the son of him whose name is I am. I am the son of him who is the Lord. So David confesses, I am the son of God. I am the son of the Lord. Here is the youth that's coming out. Now here is the feminine word from Alma. It comes from where? It comes from the skull of man. My friend saw this whole thing in his vision. Where did he see it? Go to any psychiatrist in the world and they will say, Oh, well, it's one of those little disturbances, all in the mind. Except your little mind, where did it come from? Oh, out of your brain. We could just make this and do that and all these things coming out of your brain. They haven't the slightest concept of what this is all about. Here is one about to depart from this wheel of recurrence. But the whole thing is recurrence. There's nothing new under the sun. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Man can't believe it. We're living in a new age. We say atomic age, nuclear age, all these things are so new, and they all have been. The wheel is turning, and it's the wheel of recurrence. You and I are taken off the wheel of recurrence one by one. I want to unite into a single body who is God. And that God we call Jesus Christ, one body, one spirit, one Lord. So here this fantastic thing. But in the world of Caesar, where he is, as I am as you are. And being a very successful writer, his first thought when he came through, can I sell it as an HG Wells adventure into the future? And then, in his own lovely, humorous way, because he writes comedy. Although, really, no one is a greater uh, tragedian than the really great comedian. No one. You walk about, or you talk about tragedy. Give me the comedian. Then you'll find the real tragedian, and he is the one who writes comedy. It's his living. Okay, the word tragedian. I think that's supposed to be comedian. Alright, so, and so, it isn't worth a dime. No nudity keeps it off TV, and the lack of sex out of the movies, but I tell you, this is the most fantastic story. And that, that night, his wife gave me, in words, her experience. Not in a dream, or in a vision, but while wide, wide awake. And that is equally fantastic, which i tell next time. But here, I ask you to share with me all of your dreams and your visions. We're moving up into the most wonderful awakening state. I wouldn't fool you. I have not a thing to gain, but nothing to gain, really, by taking anything from you. I am completely independent of this world. I don't need one nickel to live. I can go to any part where they will take sterling, and that's a very large section of the world, beginning with England, and live with a full complement of servants, and I have everything I want, but I have. And I don't mean using principle. So I am not here to get anything more in the world of Caesar. I've been sent to tell you a story. To tell you what I've experienced. And what those who are coming are experiencing. Within this small group, they're all waking. So what does it matter? Three and a half billion, everyone will awake. But I'm not sent to become the publicized being. But sent to bring everyone that will come within this sphere and let them all awake and awake and awake, and take them out of this wheel of recurrence. For he saw in this first section of the three-part vision, and they said, They've decided to put an end to it, and that was their decision. They put an end to it, but they've started in the center, and it will take a while for it to come to the surface. And where do you go? Into an entirely different age, For the next verse was, and and they ate and drank the heavenly feast. Not food as you and I understand it in the world of Caesar, but on their faces reflected the most glorious satisfaction of a meal that was out of this world. That's where everyone is moving into an entirely different world, a new age, the age where the resurrected enter. So again, I ask you to share with me, there's no dream that is insignificant. And I'm not denying that it had a sexual content, no. I'm not denying that, but that's not it. This creative power is sex, and it moves when you see it. He saw God, he saw when he looked into that hole. One day he's going to see God and see God, and it's just like you. May I tell you, I'm a man, you are, God is man. People don't believe this, I don't mean collective man in the sense that he's made in a peculiar, strange way. When you meet the risen Christ and you see man, as Blake so beautifully said, God appears and God is light to those poor souls who dwell in night. But does the human form display to those who dwell in realms of day? So when you meet God, you meet him as man. I'm man, you are man, and you meet the risen Christ and he's man. You can't conceive of such beauty. You can't conceive of such love. You see the embodiment of love when you meet God, the risen Christ. Infinite love stands before you. I can't describe it, but it's human, and it's man. So I'm not denying the serpentine form. It is the serpentine force, that great serpent that fell. He's called the serpent. He's called the great fish. He's called the elephant. These are the names given to this creative power. A lady who doesn't come now, she said her husband, will not let her come because she's been having these disturbing experiences in sleep. She's a grandmother, and in her sleep, recently, she had these horrible things happen to her. Then she began to quote scripture, and in the scripture she said, I'm going to tell this to Neville. She's quoting scripture, and she's talking to these strange creatures. I'm going to tell this to Neville. One of them said to her, We knew you would tell the great fish. We knew you would tell the great fish, very flattering, not a fish, but the fish, the serpent, the elephant. Christians are fish, a fish, a serpent, an elephant. But when you are in the body of Christ, you are not a fish. You aren't the fish. You aren't the elephant. You aren't the serpent. All gathered into one body, and that body is that great serpent that fell, that moves like the great convulsions of the brain. When you go into silence and you see this golden liquid light that moves and moves and moves all through the brain, and one day you are taken in spirit into the presence of the risen Christ. And then you see the fulfillment of Judaism. All this was foretold in the Old Testament, consummated. Here's the fruit, and it's man, and it's God. So that everything told in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the story of Christ. The story of Christ is your story, everything. God became me, that I may become God. That is the story. So I want to thank my friend beyond measure for what he's done. He just stuck it into my pocket. I was in the kitchen, pouring him a drink, by the way. And he comes quietly into the kitchen, takes this letter from his pocket. And so people think, well, you shouldn't drink. You shouldn't eat this. You shouldn't do this to be holy. Forget it. Forget all this nonsense about food. No one is brought before God because he's a vegetarian, or he doesn't drink, or he doesn't smoke. Forget all this nonsense. Hasn't a thing to do with this great mystery. Here I am pouring him a drink. He's always accusing me of pouring him too heavy a drink, always. We have the same maid, so he tells the maid that Mr. Neville pours me too heavy a drink. And I said, go back and tell her I don't pour the drink, I make him pour his own. So if he gets drunk at my home, he blames his own self for that. not me. I don't pour anymore. So here, this wonderful vision. He sticks it in my pocket when I'm pouring him the first one. Pour him the first one and no more. I read it casually when he was there. Or I read it casually when he was there. And after he left, I read it. I could hardly keep my eyes. I read it. Next morning I read it again, and there is the whole wonderful picture unfolding in Scripture. Here is the seventh chapter of Isaiah. Here is the twenty-fourth chapter of Exodus. Everything is unfolding right before my eyes in this wonderful experience of his, and only the actual mystical experience could really unlock the door. You can see it. Rather, I can tell you forever. But when it happens, then you know what it means. You must be born from above. What it means is you must bring forth the sign of the child. What it means is to bring forth the Christ child. You do bring it forth. I am a man. I have two children. And here I'm not afraid or ashamed to say I gave birth to the Christ child. If I gave birth to the Christ child and only only women can do it, well, then I am woman. I am that woman that gave birth to the Christ child. So we speak of Mary while well, I tell you I am Mary and birthed the God. Not only must give, I gave. So everyone is Mary, male or female, the Virgin Mary. This is man. Everyone gives birth to the Christ child, male and female, for we are one. Divided in this world for a certain purpose. And so I'm a split image in this world, a male, female. And whether we have two males who lie together Two females who lie together, or a male-female who lie together, it's all part of the same fabulous world in which we live. But in the end, everyone gives birth to the Christ child, and only this blessed one does it, therefore you are that blessed one, his God, who became us, that we may become God. So I want to thank him profusely for this marvelous letter, and I have already thanked her for hers, which I have not yet touched, so I will next week. And all of yours, may I tell you, keep on sending them. Every dream, every vision, send them. Those based upon the working of the law in the world of Caesar? We're living in the world of Caesar, and we have to pay rent and buy clothes, buy food, and so use the law. The law is simple, very simple. Infinite states, that's all. You and I are in a state, but I can get out of any state at any moment of time if I know I'm in a state. If I identify myself with a state to the degree where I don't know I'm in a state, but think I am in it, well, then I'm lost. If I know I'm in states, well, I can get out of a state. Go from one state to the other state to the other state. And so I move into a state of poverty. All right, I bear poverty. I move, move into the state of affluence. I bear affluence. So I move into states. It's simple. It's simple. So I want to thank you who will share with me your moving from one state to another state to produce physical results in the world of Caesar. And you who share with me your dreams and your visions that I may in turn share all from this platform and all of us together be encouraged by each other's faith in applying the story. Now, let us go into the silence. All right. So there we have Neville Goddard's lecture from 1967. Titled, Remembrance of Things Future. Alright, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. And I will see you all next time. Alright, bye now.